This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I've wanted this guy on a long time because his work is so unique, and we have a bunch of mutual friends who keep telling me how incredible he is. I expect him to prove that to all of us today on the show. He is a prolific author, and I call him one of the great thought leaders of our time. I really mean that. I, uh, when I start listening to his work, I find myself listening to the end, and that says something. He's got a new book out called Discipline is Destiny, The Power of Self-Control, but he's written a bunch of different New York Times bestsellers. We're going to have an amazing conversation today about you with him. Ryan Holiday, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Finally, worked out. we get this thing done. What is Stoicism in general? Just explain it to us and why is it relevant today? Ancient philosophy goes back to Greece and Rome. I think the problem is people think they know what it is, right? They, th- yeah. they hear the word stoic yes. and they think they know what stoicism is. Mm. Stoic, the word means like no emotion, you know, a robot, you stuff it down, you don't feel pain. Stoicism, the philosophy is popular with Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome, Cato, uh, uh, one of the great senators of Rome, Epictetus, a slave. Mm. Uh, it, it's a philosophy for doers in a world that is chaotic and unfair and unpredictable. Mm. And they're trying to get the best out of themselves and the world around them. But But I see it as a philosophy that's trying to help you become what you're meant to become and do what you were meant to do in the world. In the world. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about this book that you wrote that I liked is how you reference all these other people in the book. Yeah. So, like, you guys are going to read this book, and it's, it's got Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. You really get into Lou Gehrig. I do, Like, yeah. I'm a huge baseball fan. Yeah. I'm learning crap about Lou Gehrig in a book on life. I had <laughs> yeah. no idea what I was going to learn. Queen Elizabeth, which is interesting timing in there, right? Like, it's a really profound way you, you keep it so entertaining. You said something. I'm going to start with my favorite thing. No one has more pain than the lazy. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, we think we avoid pain by being lazy, but we create pain because we feel unfulfilled. We don't have what we want. Things are hard. We don't have the skills or the muscles to do things that should come easy to us, right? So it's like we think we're taking the easy way out, but we're really just making it harder for ourselves later. And so is that why you, I mean, I was surprised. I, I, I thought of stoicism. I'm like, all right, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. It's sort of what I thought originally. Yeah. But there's all this stuff in the book, like on st- doing strenuous things. Yeah. So why is it so important to do strenuous things? You write about it in the book, but I want them to know. Well, it's like, you know, you think of your image of the philosopher. It's this like turtleneck right. university professor, soft, maybe effeminate, right? Yep. But, you know, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, they train in wrestling and horseback mm. riding and they hunt. They, they're, they're living the strenuous life. Mm. And philosophy was the, a strong mind to counterbalance a strong body. Mm. Right. So they're active. They're doing things in the world. Um, they played sports. They uh, they fought in the army. They, these were active participants active, in actually. life. Yeah, yeah, it's not philosophy today seems like this academic sort of abstract pursuit. But again, Marcus Aurelius is the most powerful man in the world. Right. The philosophy for him is not like, oh, how do we know, you know, whether we live in a computer simulation or not, right? Like, it's not like this, uh, is there such thing as free will? He's like, I want to stop losing my temper at people. I want to know how to not be corrupted by my power and success. I want to know 
what sort of code, what ethics I should live by as a human being in a world where uh, I can do anything and everything that I want. So for the Stoics, they settle on these sort of four virtues, which is what I'm writing about. So courage is the first one. Self-discipline is the second one. Justice, how we treat other people is the third. And then wisdom is the fourth. Mm. And so you can, if you see then philosophy as these set of ideas, Mm -hmm. well then doing strenuous stuff, hunting, wrestling, fighting, uh, running, these are ways to test those ideas, yeah. right? To, to, to build the muscle of the ability to put yourself in tough situations, to push through your limits, right? Mm-hmm. To hold back when you need to hold back, right? It's a, it, it, it's a, just as sports are a metaphor now, it's also a training ground. So after I started looking at your work, I actually think the work that you're doing is in, and the stoicism principles are more relevant and important now than they were then because, this is my reasoning, because there's so many other things that can distract us now. There's yeah. so much more sure. noise. There's so much other stimulus yeah. than even a guy. The thing that struck me, and I'll let you comment on that, the thing that struck me about Marcus Aurelius was, and I'd like to think I have one millionth of one percent of this, that although he was a very powerful, influential man, he's very vulnerable, yes. very thoughtful. Like yeah. in an age where nothing like that was embraced, it wasn't even, I don't even know that it was even valued then, right? So do you feel like these principles are more, well, not more, but in my, I can say more, you don't need to judge it. But extraordinarily relevant because of all the distractions that we have on our phone and our TV, our the technology, everything in our life. Well, I think it, so. You you take Marcus Aurelius, right? He's the most powerful man in the world. He oversees this enormous army, this empire, fifty million people. He has to make all these decisions. All the inputs that are coming at him that would be so overwhelming. And yeah. so that's why he's concentrate like a Roman, winnow your thoughts, lock in. But that pales in comparison to like what you and I would get on our phone right now yes. in while we're talking, right? right? Like their world was so much smaller than ours that mm-hmm. he didn't know. He he not only wasn't getting news from the far flung corners of the world, he didn't know they existed, right? Right. right. So like if it was relevant then, it's extra relevant now. Mm. And so I, I I certainly think all of those virtues are more are are as important, if not more important today. I do too. And I think. You make a good point because sometimes people see Stoicism as masculine because we primarily hear hear about the male Stoics because they were yep. like the only ones that wrote. Right. But first off, Stoicism was taught to women at that time. Musonius Rufus, one of the great Stoic teachers, says like virtue is flattering on a man and flattering on a woman. It might mm-hmm. look different, mm-hmm. but it's it's the highest form of excellence, right? Excellence, period. Arete, as yeah, you know, that's is, the name is of my coaching the, group is yeah, Arete. That's, yeah, yeah. Arete is Arete. Yes. Like it, it has no gender yes. to it. It just is. Uh, Can I tell you one thing? I'm really yeah. glad you said that. My audience is probably about 65% female. Yes. And when I was having you on, I wanted to make sure, I should have said that in the beginning. Um, I think sometimes when you hear Marcus Aurelius, yep. Stoicism, you're like, all right, this is a dude show today. Not like, Absolutely not true at all. The principles are gender neutral. Well, in any ways, it's like it's almost more stoic that most of the female stoics we've just never heard of. They didn't need the <laughs> attention more of the stoic, You know point. what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> good point. Uh, but but <laughs> what is interesting about meditations is like it's you and I wrote books. We had something we wanted to say to other people. Yeah, he's writing this book to himself. himself. He'd be like mortified to know that we're talking about it because he's he's like. Why'd you do this? Like mm-hmm. you got to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Like he's talking to himself, and so right. sometimes academic philosophers will. One of the criticisms of Marcus Aurelius is that he repeats himself, mm-hmm. and it's like, have you ever met a person? We tend to have the same problems, and we're dealing with them over and over and over again. Yeah. That's why he's repeating himself. It's so good. Yeah, the the level of humanity that he displayed. Yeah, I think is the most compelling part. I think there's lessons in that for all of us too. You he know? opens meditation. My favorite part. You don't want to talk about vulnerable. 
the first book in meditations is called debts and lessons mm -hmm. and it's just him writing about what he learned from all of the people in his life mm -hmm. and my favorite line he learned this from sextus one of the his mm -hmm. philosophy teachers he wrote he said what i learned from sextus was to be free of passion but full of love mm -hmm. so not anger or fear or mm -hmm. selfishness or greed or any of those other strong emotions that can drive us to do things, but instead a kind of a compassion and empathy, a purpose. To me, that's what he's saying. And oh, I love that. Bro, I love that you just said that. It's interesting. My work's changed without knowing you would say that and without knowing that he said that. Yeah. I used to, I have really moved my work into that space that I, I really believe all great things are created from love. Yeah. That I really believe it's the ultimate emotion for creativity, for achievement. I mean, I actually think love is the highest form of achievement. I just really believe that. So I did not know that he said that. There's a part that I have a hard time dealing okay. with that you talk about. Okay. I want to go to it early. All right. Which is the ambition piece. Yeah. So you would think with all this stuff about routines and attack the dawn and do strenuous things and all this stuff that's in the book, which we'll probably talk a little bit about, that those things lead inevitably to achievement. Sure. But a real a significant part of this work in this book is about not being intoxicated by ambition. Yeah. And I understand it because I have been before. So yeah. you're right, but it's a really nuanced point to make for people that have not yet achieved. Like it could almost be like a cop out. Like yes. I've disconnected from my ambition. Therefore, yes. I'm more stoic in my <laughs> yeah. nature. Right. So elaborate and take all the time you want because it's a biggie. Well, to me. let's let's stipulate some people, their problem is they don't have any ambition or enough ambition. That's mm -hmm. why they haven't gotten their butt off the couch. It's why they don't take care of themselves. It's why they're afraid to try. But then there are people who have ambition, who are driven, who are talented. And and that ambition is a double edged sword. Yeah, and you is. have to figure out how to manage it. Mm -hmm. It's because it's easy to turn yourself over to it. I want to be the richest person in the world. Mm -hmm. I want to be the greatest who ever did this or that. Mm -hmm. I want to get all the prizes, all the, all the attention. But the Stokes would say the problem with that is it's all predicated on stuff that you don't control. Mm. So like being great at the game of football, that's something you control. Whether you get drafted by the right team in the right city in the right moment, mm -hmm. whether you get injured or not, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you get selected to the Pro Bowl, these are things that by definition you have less control over. Mm. So what are you... What are you basing your goals on? Mm. Marcus Rios says, you know, ambition is tying your identity or success to what other people say or do. Yeah. Sanity is tying it to what you say or do. So when I work on a book, of course, and, and I've, I've had those prizes, so it's easier for me to say I've sold lots of books. I've mm. been number one on various lists. I've, mm. I've, I've had people say, your book changed my life. That's all wonderful. Yep. But that can't be what you're aiming at mm -hmm. because you don't control it. Mm -hmm. What I try to do as I sit down and write and go, Am I writing the best possible book that I'm capable of writing? Mm -hmm. Am I putting everything that I'm capable of putting in into it? Mm. Is it accomplishing what I want it to accomplish? Mm. And then on the day it comes out, if it, if it has that other stuff, that's extra. Yeah. But I, I can't let, I've had books that sold enough copies to be on the list, number one on the list, and they weren't there. Me too. Because the system is not fair. Yeah. Life isn't fair. Yeah. Also, what if you put out a book the day there's a hurricane or you know some major news event? Yeah. None of that is up to you. So you, you the, the sto for, to me, the essence of stoicism is like, is it up to you or not up to you? Mm -hmm. And it's only worth going after if it's up to you. 
What profound wisdom. The other thing, too, is even when you hit these things that are ambition-based or outside of you-based, they can feel good. Yeah. But they don't feel as good as the feel-good that comes from doing the thing that rewards your soul or that matters to you. It can still feel good. It's a lie. You make New York Times bestseller. You make $10 million. Yeah. You get some award. feels good. Yeah. But it actually- Never as good as you think, though. It doesn't. It's, yeah. it's, 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 is that not totally true? That's why this stuff is so wise. Like It really isn't. And I hate to say it because then I worry that people won't make an effort to be yeah. their ultimate best. But if you have not tied it to what you just said, that it matters to you, yeah. that it's something you can control, that it rewards your soul, it is not as good as you think it is. The problem is we think- it. We tell ourselves that we want to be number one, we want to get drafted, we want to start a company that goes public, and we tell ourselves it's, it's, it's because we want that, but really what we want is dad to be proud, right. or we want to show those people who laughed at us or whatever, yeah. and you're never going to get that. You're never going to get, you're never going to fix these internal things with external accomplishments. That doesn't mean external accomplishments can't be achieved. They, they can and should be achieved. Mm. The problem is if you think standing on the metal stand getting the gold medal is finally going to make you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. You're going to be very disappointed when not only you don't, but there's this part of you in your brain that says, no, it only counts if you can do it twice yep. or your silver instead of gold, you suck. Right. Yes. And, and your mind, I think evolutionarily we're wired so to never be satisfied. And it's a hard thing because I'm sure everyone listening, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. But you, and it's one of those things you can really only, you got to get a taste of it. The, the, the thing is, can you, can you learn it early with your first success and then detach or separate success from happiness? Oh, yeah. And then still try to achieve both? Or does it take you over and over and over and over again and then your wife leaves you and your kids don't like you and you, you realize you spent your whole life at the office and you go, why did I do that? Right? It, the earlier you learn that, the better. Bro, a million percent. I'm learning it now, and I'm 51, and I've been teaching it, by the way, to other people for like 15 years, but I'm just learning it now. Last week, at the time we're recording yeah. this, not when it comes out with you and I, my guest was a guy named David A. Arnold. His life is, was amazing right now. Number one special on Netflix. Number one show he wrote that's on Nickelodeon. Um, he was filming a movie. We released the show Tuesday. He died Wednesday. Wow. Yeah. And, and he was a happy and fulfilled yeah. man. But part of the lesson in that for me was, Ed, is it okay if my show's is it really number one? Like what really yeah. matters, right? Sure. At the end on that day for David, God bless him. I loved him. You know, was that the most important thing that he got an award for the Nickelodeon show? Right. Right. Does that right. really define his life? Is it, it's not, that's not what defined his life, right? What defined a life, thank God, is he was such a wonderful man and husband and father. I also find, and you talk about this in the book. I think successful or happy people have a different relationship with discomfort than unhappy people. Sure. Meaning, I, I kind of enjoy doing uncomfortable things. I have found, after pursuing them over and over again in my life, that I, I'm more familiar with it, I guess, now. And I kind of see it as a space I like to be in. Whereas I think most humans, because we're wired this way, our natural proclivity is to avoid discomfort. And it's another one of the principles yeah. that you have in the book. Yeah, Lance Armstrong told me one time, he's like, I trained because I love riding the bike. He's like, I raced for money, mm -hmm. right? And so do you love wow. the work or do you love the thing, mm -hmm. right? And, and I, it, here's the thing, people go, but if you love the thing and you, you can't not do it, you will also most likely be very good at that thing. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, hundred percent. Tell my you, kids that. If you wrote the book because you loved it and you put everything that you didn't cut any corners, you did your best. You're a hundred percent locked in. Chances are, more often than not, that is going to work. If you're writing the book because you mm. think this is a lucrative niche and you want to cash in at this moment and you think it'll help your career, be a good business card, maybe. But most of the time, it won't. So it's really about averages, like what's yeah. what attitude. And so, like a comedian who loves the the act of stand up will do so much stand up that eventually they will become world class and they'll get the specials and all the other things. Yes. But if you're if you're in it because you think it'll be fun, because you think it'll get you girls, because you yep. think it'll impress your parents, yep. if you think it'll piss your parents off, you're going to find that when it gets really hard, you don't have what it takes to stay with it. Yeah, staying power is only through the love of the game to some extent. In the book, part one's the exterior of the body, part two's the inner domain temperament. This guy's stuff is so good, right? Um, the soul is another part of the book. Morning routine may be the single most over-talked about thing in the history of personal development yeah. I mean, in the last 10 years, right? And yet, yet, how many people have good morning routines? That's the deal, and that's why I want to talk yeah. about it with you. I think it became a fad. Yeah. Actually, I think it's talked about way more than implemented. Yes. I really do. Yes. And I actually know some of the dudes who talk about it who even themselves don't implement the morning routine that yeah, they yeah. talk about. So you talk a little bit about attacking the dawn. Yeah. Another thing I've grown to know in my life is... The happiest and successful people I know do a lot of stuff earlier in the day than the people that I know that aren't as happy or yes. successful. I want yep. you to talk about both those things. So to me, well, I, I tell the story of Toni Morrison in the book. She had this yes. great line. She's so like, good. I got to get up and get to work before I hear the word mom. Mm. And I think that's actually the same thing that rich, successful, like billionaires get up and work out at the gym at 4 a.m. Yep. because that's their time. Mm -hmm. They they cannot leave the office at 2 p.m. to go work out. There's mm -hmm. too much happening. The day gets away from you. Like when I hear about people who are like, yeah, you know, and then I write, you know, maybe in the afternoon. No, you got to know when you do it. And that's always got to be when you do it. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to find reasons to not do it. Yes. And, and I think uh, Pete Holmes, another comedian, once told me, he's like, getting up early is like robbing a bank when no one's there. Oh, good. Really you know, good. and you're like. The morning, there's less interruptions, less people. My thing is I don't touch my phone for the first 30 minutes to an hour I'm awake. And I just, that's my time. I, I don't actually write right when I wake up. Mm -hmm. I take my kids for a long walk. We do this a lot. My kids are still young. So mm -hmm. we do a long walk outside in the morning mm -hmm. before I've been sucked into stuff. Mm -hmm. So I carry that. Like I know even if the day gets away from me, I had quality time with my family. I had quality time outside. Mm. I got active. I thought I was intentional thinking about what I have to do today, what I want to do well. And then when I sit down to write, I got, that's what I'm bringing to it. Not, I check Twitter before my feet even hit the ground out of bed and I'm already pissed off mm. and already distracted. Like that, you're, you're not setting yourself up for success. I love you. The number one non-negotiable part of my routine is not touching my phone the first 30 minutes. It's also the hardest thing to have for me to have developed was that. Yeah. I find it the most valuable thing. I've gone back and forth, cold shower, no cold showers. I've done, you know, I'm going to get up and train really hard in the beginning. I'm going to do my writing early in the morning. I'm going to do my, I've moved those things around. What I've not moved around in a very long time is touching my phone the first 30 minutes. I think it's the, I think because it's so difficult to do, it ought to prove to everybody how valuable it actually is to do it. And I, I have to sleep with it in the other room. So if I get up and go to the bathroom mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, I'm not like, what's happened? Like, yeah. I, you got to create some shelter. So that way, you know, if you're getting a good amount of sleep, that's like, mm -hmm. you know, 
seven, eight hours of no phone consecutively, mm-hmm. which has already set you up for a good a good yeah. day where you're not the majority of that time on the phone. Well, I think it tells you who you are. I yeah. think if you're grabbing your phone the first thing you get up, you've decided I, I'm a responder and a reactor in my life. I don't dictate any of the terms. Yes. I'm in no control of anything. And I think if you can at least wait 30 minutes, you've just that is that choice in and of itself gives you a form of control. Even if what's in that phone, by the way, needs response when you get there, you've set a syntax or a context of your life that the whole world is not going to dictate to me what happens in any given day, that I'm in charge of this, at least to some extent. I think if you can get some control over the first 30 minutes of your day, some control over the last 30 minutes, there's a higher probability you'll have at least the illusion of control over the middle of your day. What's like, do you use the phone or does the phone use you? Yeah. Right? And it's like, if you you can't control when you use it or not, like- you're the tool. Yeah. A friend of mine telling me his Literally. morning. Yeah. His, yeah, his, <laughs> his morning routine is like, get up. Of course, I check my phone real fast to see if there's any fires I have to put out. Mm-hmm. Then I go do this stuff. And I was like, do you ever not find fires? <laughs> what do you right? think's in there? Of course, that's what, right. that's what the phone is. But that's also what you are looking for. Yes. And by definition, you're going to find, find it. it. I want to start the day in control yep. with a big, like the long view. Mm-hmm. I want to, to set the pace, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want... You don't want the fact that one of your colleagues emailed you at 3 a.m. with something that's not really important, but they actually, Michael uh, Bostick and, and, and Lauren told me this. They were like, your inbox is, your, is a to-do list put together by other people. So good. It's that's so good, really right? Good. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay, so I'll get to those things when I get to them, not when you get to them. Very good. See, there's so, there's, let me just tell you something. Ryan's work is so loaded that what we'll cover in this hour is going to change your life, but it is honestly maybe 2% of even just this book. No, I'm not saying that to make Thanks. you feel good, but because I, I, I have all these circles I made, and I yeah. can already tell I'm not going to get to a lot of them. But So you said, look, I get up, I don't check my phone, I go take this walk with my kids. Now I'm kind of creative. In the book, you say perfectionism is actually a vice. Yeah. Right? That's a strong term to make, yeah. right? And I think the reason most people that struggle struggle is they have a higher threshold of how good or prepared they think they have to be to take an action in order to not take in other words most people i know that are pretty successful or happy have a lower threshold of how good they think they have to be at something before they'll begin it they'll step into a space and say i'll figure it out when i get there and when i get there i'll figure out the next space and i'll figure that doesn't mean they don't practice preparation doesn't mean i'm more i'm more confident in today's interview because i prepared my ass off for this right but I also know something could happen that I'm not prepared for, and it doesn't cause me to not pursue this craft. That's totally right. I think the more you've done, the more experience you have, the more confidence you have in yourself. And so you, under, you can remember how things were when you started, which is not anywhere close to where they were when you finish. There's a Hemingway quote. I have it on a poster on my wall. He says, the first draft of everything is sh- Mm. Or anything, I forget. Mm. But I did. I did a version of it where I marked it up. Like even yeah. that sentence, he didn't. That didn't come out perfectly for him. He right. shaped that. Right. And so uh, writing as a metaphor, you get comfortable with first drafts. Mm. You go, if I don't do it because I want it to be perfect, it will never be good, and then I can't polish it to perfection, mm. right? And then perfection itself does not exist. It's a ma- It's the horizon. It's always a little bit further away. Yeah. And so if you get com- like. For me, it's like I'm just trying to r- make something that exists, then I can edit it and shape it and change it and improve it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm so 
first off, high on my own supply, so convinced I'm a genius, whatever, I'm I'm never going to actually do it, yeah. and then it, it will be perfect in my head, yeah. but it won't ever be shippable. Oh, man, that's really true. Speaking of firsts, I love this. You say uh, do hard things first. Yeah. Why? Well, writing is the hard thing in, in my mm-hmm. profession, so it's like I don't allow myself to make up a bunch of other stuff that I do first mm. to get then distracted. Like mm-hmm. I, I hate, I think breakfast meetings should be illegal, right? Why. Breakfast coffees, yeah. morning staff meeting. Yeah. No, go do the work. Then once we've made some headway, then we have the luxury of going, Hey, what's the next thing we need to be thinking about? Like yes. if you're, again, if you, if you're putting it off, you're going to come up with reasons that you never have to get to it. Brother. I'm a disciplined person, I'd like to think. And here's how right he is. You actually write about someone that I work with in your book. I won't say who it is, but she used to run a country. And um, and I work out first in the morning. Yeah. It's one of the first things I do. And the reason that it's one of the first things I do is because it's hard for me. Yeah. And after 30 some odd years of being in gyms, it's not my favorite place to go anymore. It just isn't. So I have to do it early in the day. Well, some of my coaching has started to happen overseas, yeah. which means they're up. I have to get up really early to do these coaching calls with some of these people. One of them is a woman in your book. And on the days where I coach her, I don't work out early in the day. Right. right? And I have it kind of scheduled like around 11 o'clock. I'm just being real with you. All of a sudden around 1130, I'm on Instagram again. 1215, I'm doing emails. One o'clock, you know what? I'll do it at five o'clock after dinner. Now, this is me. And I've trained for 35 years. There have been several days. I just didn't work out those days. And it's pathetic. But it's because you should do hard things first in your day. You've proven it, and I'm I'm evidence yeah. of it. With You're this like, hard I got to change. Yeah. You know, I got this other. Then thing. I got to take a shower yeah, after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah you, I'll just do it. Get it out of the way. Yes. And and that's how I think about like writing is the win every day for me because mm-hmm. that's what I do. If yep. if my thing was training people, I would do the training. Whatever the win is, you got to yep. do that. Cross it off, mm. and then if you get to the other stuff, that's extra. Yeah. Right. It can't be you do the extra and then maybe you get to the the main mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. I, I spoke to the Rams a couple of years ago and they said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Like, what is that for you? Mm-hmm. And then is your day built around it? Yes or no? Because yes. if it's not, what does that set? It's very true. It's like I just had a coaching call yesterday with some entrepreneurs. I'm like, are you actually moving the needle with what you're doing? Yeah. And you can look at your life and your day that way. Early in your day, are you moving the needle on your day? Or are you kicking the needle down the road, so to speak, right? And it's just, And also, you get momentum. When what's the thing? The, other, the way I think about it too is like, what are the things that only I can do, mm-hmm, right? right? Everything else you yeah. outsource, but it, it's like, if I, it, what is the main driver here for me? It's like, am I writing, coming up with the ideas? The other stuff is important, mm-hmm. but it's downstream from that. Really good point. And you got to know what that is. Like mm-hmm. the most powerful law in economics is the law of comparative advantage, mm-hmm. right? If I pick apples. Uh, better than you and you pick oranges better than me we can't both be picking each other's stuff we gotta <laughs> find our lane stick to it and then that makes the whole economy grows as a result of that so good so good so good the uh we should have done the three hours that i told you i want to keep going i told him we're not going three hours like you did in rogan but i kind of want to go three hours. We, to go. we won't go that far but so the part of the work that affects me the most, and maybe it's the crux of the work, and maybe it's only the crux of the work for me, right? I bet different parts of what you're writing about. But you talk a lot about having the, I'll use my terminology and you can correct me, the discipline to, to deny or pass on temptation yeah. in life, right? So it's this, this idea that there's temptation. Sure. And someone who was, I guess, uh, 
practicing more stoicism than someone who is not has developed the ability to not give into those temptations, whatever they might be yeah. in life. The thing I have seen hurt most humans in my life has been their inability to deal with temptation. A, they become successful and now they get the temptation if they're a guy of women or yeah. the temptation of I've saved a bunch of money, the temptation to spend it. Um, drugs. It, drugs, whatever it might be. Also the temptation to watch Netflix, the yeah. temptation to be gluttonous, the temptation, and this is for anybody in life, but there's these temptations that we sort of have this intuitive knowing, yeah. pull us from who we best are that we give into every single day in different ways in most parts of our life. And the most happy and evolved people I know do it less. Yeah. They don't do it never, sure. but they do it less. Yeah, Seneca, he says, show me a man who isn't a slave, right? One mm. to his mistress, one to power, one to recognition. He says, uh, even the slave master is mm. a slave to the slaves, right? Mm. The idea that like your big, enormous estate, it, it like, do you own the company or does the company own you, mm. right? And so I think deciding... Like we were talking about with the phone, like who's in control, me or it? And the ability to go like, I don't do that. I'm not going to, uh, that's not for me. I don't care if everyone does it. I don't care if you think I'm weird for doing it. Mm. Um, it doesn't work for me. It's not part of my life. And the ability to have those lines. Like yeah. I always respect people and like we make fun of people who have like weird dietary things. And yeah. I was like, no, they decided they don't eat this. And that's a rule they follow. I respect so that I when I see it, right? And, and what I tend to find is that that's a transferable skill, right? So the ability to say like, I don't do X also allows you to say, I don't do Y, mm. right? And so sometimes cultivating that is really important. The ability to say, like, there's a famous story about Richard Feynman uh, that I tell in the book that is the physicist. He, he's, he's sort of walking to work one day and he just feels this pull, like in the middle of a morning to go have a drink. And he's not an alcoholic. Mm. And he has no moral argument against drinking, but he doesn't like that feeling, mm. that feeling of like, go do this. Because that wasn't him. That was some part in him. And that he never drinks a day uh, again in his life. And I, I think you want to cultivate that. Like, what are the things that you're sort of compulsively doing? The things that just sort of you're powerless to do once the idea comes in your head? That's what you want to develop the muscle, the ability to be like, nah, not anymore. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's really good. So the thing that pops in your mind that's that compulsive temptation is probably the thing. That's the signal. Yes. Okay, right. And then good. developing the ability to be like, I can stop doing con compulsive things is really important, right? That's, a, that's strength, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of strong people can lift heavy things, but then they are powerless. That's what Seneca's saying. They're powerless over this thing. Think about some of their super wor powerful world leader, but they're obsessed with checking their you know their mentions or something yes. right or they're they're obsessed with uh dominating people where they can't stop this impulse and then that ultimately or inevitably tends to lead to their destruction Demise. in some way so is it a little bit about and i don't know that it is so i want to ask you is it a little bit about chipping away at one's excessive i think so yeah. yeah not getting perfect but chipping away it's not just doing the right things but chipping away at the things that make us less than we're capable of being i think that's right i mean temperance the word yeah. is about what's the right amount so mm -hmm. so some things the right amount is zero right right but a lot of things it's it's a it's a appropriate healthy amount and beyond that point it starts to get a pro like mm -hmm. again like it, it's almost easier to be like i don't drink than to be like this is when i stop drinking yeah. Right. Like I've had enough. Mm. And this is also true for success. Like think about how many boxers can't leave 
when it's enough. You're right. Right? And then yeah. th- they go too far, and, and that's, yep. that's their downfall. And so, again, cultivating the ability to be like, I decide when this stops. You're right. And when you're listening to this, you may go, well, mine's not drinking or drugs or porn or sex or spending money. Is it worry? Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it anger? Control. Control. Good one. Control. Well, you just hit one of mine. Yeah, like the, the micromanaging thing. Yeah, like yeah. you're like, why don't people like working for me? <laughs> right, it's like, right. You, 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 you're not fun to work for. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about, I think overall, it's the knowledge of getting quiet and more self-aware and understanding oneself. Is that the basis of the work, would you say, to some extent? And I think that's what Marcus is doing in meditations. He's talking to himself Mm -hmm. and working it out on the page. Like, Mm. your thoughts can deceive you, but when you put them down and you you have to have that discussion, you Mm. go, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, putting yourself up for review, the Stoics. Putting yourself up for review. That's a difficult thing to do. Well, it's you uncomfortable. Know, yeah, it's uncomfortable. And I, I'm doing it lately. It's interesting for my audience to be in real time. You know, I think they're surprised often because, you know, look, the other part of me is like, okay, here's how you do all these things. But I'm also a work in progress. In other words, even for the audience or even my friend, I don't want to be the same guy next year I am this year. Then I have not that same. I want to, my values diminish to the world if I'm the same person. I ought to have new distinctions and new wisdom and new breakthrough. And so should you sure. that are listening to this. Okay. Beware this madness. What is that? That's the part. That's part of the book. I'm like, I, what is that? I'm talking about when you lose. We're talking. We're talking about losing control. When you yep. lose control over your emotions, that sort of temporary burst madness. Of, of insanity, mm-hmm. anger, frustration, mm-hmm. resentment, fear, lust. Right mm-hmm. when 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 you're losing control of yourself, you're defenseless in the face of that thing. I tell the story of Sam Cassell, the basketball player. Mm-hmm. He, he he hits this great shot. As he's running back to celebrate, he can't stop himself from taunting uh, the opponents. And he, he does this, they call it the big balls dance. He, he acts yeah. like he's cradling yeah. his huge balls. <laughs> but he, he fractures his hip in doing this, right? Is <laughs> uh, out basically the rest of the series. They, 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 don't, they don't go all the way to, uh, they don't win the, the finals. The, the idea of like any time you're doing, it's not that the Stoics were against emotion. I think they were out they were against doing things when consumed by emotion, mm. right? Or or letting emotions overwhelm you, right? So it's like you get some, you know, rude email. It's not to say you should let someone talk to you that way. It's mm. not to say you shouldn't respond. But like responding with anger yep. is not going to improve things. So the ability to be like, I'm going to step back. I'm going to do this calmly. Almost everything is done better calmly. A hundred percent. By the way, I call it equanimity in my book, calmness under duress, right? Staying in that moment and staying in that. Silence is strength is something you say. I really want to spend a little bit of time on this. I think that silence is, it's free. Yeah. And it's yet almost never taken advantage of by our culture anymore. And even for me, I just interviewed uh, Colin O'Brady. Yeah. He's got a new book called The 12-Hour Walk, and the concept of it is at least put your phone down for 12 hours and take a walk and take your life. I think more and more with all the noise in our lives in this day and age, people are becoming less and less familiar with silence. They want A lot of people have to have someone else around them or their phone on or the TV on or the radio on or something. And silence is this free space that is so beautiful and liberating that now as humans, we don't even take advantage of anymore. I was a director of marketing at American Apparel for a long time, and, and I, I sort of watched the company go, and 
all the way down. Yeah. And I, the CEO would call me sometimes, uh, like two, three in the morning. I would be asleep. He'd wake me up, and he would just talk to me till he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And at first, oh, I was very young, and I thought, you know, am I this important? What is it? What is this? Is it that he really cares about? And then I realized, this man can't be alone yeah. in those two minutes that he's falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And what epiphanies, what changes, what reflections, mm-hmm. what awareness might have come if you could have that space? Like it's. It's possible now to fill every second with noise. That's what your phone is. And you have to cultivate that silence because it's in the reflection that you have ideas, you have breakthroughs. I was was at a pool one time just getting in to go swimming and someone recognized me and said, oh, I loved your books. And I said, I wrote those books in this pool. Like I swim in this pool because I can't hear anything. I just, the, you know, my ears are underwater. It's like essentially, like I'm alone with my thoughts and the ideas come to me then. And you have to cultivate that silence. It's, you're right, it's free, but it's also like the most valuable thing in the world. It is. That's why so many people tell me my favorite moment of the day is when I'm in bed and I hit the bed and I'm like, well, if that's your favorite moment of the day, it's telling you that you're yearning for a little silence and yeah. a little quiet. I find myself, even like when I travel, when I shut the hotel room door and I'm in there alone, I'm like, Oh, yeah, this is so good. Dudes who have kids, they, they got noisy lives. They spend an inordinate amount of time uh, in the bathroom doing what they need to do in there. And they just sit in this little room, sure. do it because it's just a quiet time. That ought to tell us all we have this yearning for silence in our lives that the noise is not allowing us to appreciate how much we need or we want it in our lives. Yeah, look, that's why I like getting up early in the morning. It's quieter then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Get up before the emails have really started, and mm-hmm. then you don't have to have as much strength or willpower to ignore them. What's a practice? Like, what's your life look like? Now, look at the, all these philosophies. By the way, to me, it's just like really great stuff. It's stoicism, but it's just really great stuff about how to live a better life. But what's like a practice that you do daily? Is it is it your meditation time that allows you to sort of participate more in this quality of work or what is it that you do my my, uh big morning practice my meditation practice is journaling sitting down and writing things down creating some space between me and the thoughts Mm. and and like we said putting my putting yourself up for review Mm. um i i want to i want to i don't want to wake up 20 years from now and go like man how did i get here i want to be doing that reflection on a regular daily basis and catch the things before like one of the things i'll notice in my journal is like if i'm saying the same thing over and over again Mm. well i need to make some changes right if i'm like so tired today so tired if i'm writing that three days in a row like something's wrong with the decisions i'm making in my life really good and i can make those I, i let's make those changes now before i end up somewhere unrecognizable I think most people, bro, I love your work. Like, I really do. It's for me. Yeah. It's for me. Um, I know I've said that three times, but I just want to oh, express to you my gratitude for it. The, um, of a really good friend of mine who's made lots and lots of money. And uh, he's actually helped a lot of people, too. He yeah. contributes. He gives a lot of money away. He spends a lot of time. And he's unhappy. And by the way, on the surface, you'd go, wow, married to the same person, makes lots of money, gives lots of money away. This guy's living the yeah. life. Kind. He doesn't give in to a lot of temptation, frankly. He's a good dude, and he's unhappy. And he said, I just can't figure out why I'm unhappy. And I said, I think I know. And I said, by and large, brother, you've lived a completely unexamined life. 
In other words, there's never been time for self-examination. And so many of us even listening to this, this might be a breakthrough moment for so many of you. You may be doing good things. You may be growing. You may have all these things. But you're supposed to be examining your life to some extent. I love what you're saying. Put yourself up for review. I use the terminology of an unexamined life. Yeah. And, you know, we should check in with ourselves regularly because we may be so far down a path and winning down a path that is no longer the path that we want to be on or need to be on. But we haven't even examined it for years and years and years, if ever. So that's sort of what you mean to the extent of putting yourself up for review is self-examination, right? Yeah, if you don't know who you are, what you want, what kind of life you want, you just end up defaulting to what everyone else is doing. Or what you used to want. What you've always done. Yeah. Right? And and so it takes it takes an active practice of yes. questioning and reviewing and talking, not just with yourself, but also with other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a therapist, a spouse. Mm-hmm. Like you you, you want to be doing this now when you can steer the boat, yeah. not when you've ended up somewhere and you're stuck. Yeah. Right? It, it, if you've been doing the same thing unquestioned for 20 years. Yeah. Changing course is now going to be really expensive, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you've been making these micro adjustments as you go, you know, th- those things cumulatively shape the direction or the trajectory you're going. And if you don't do that, you just end up living a pattern. Yeah. It's just a pattern. It's a pattern of thoughts, a pattern of emotions, a pattern of behaviors, a t- pattern of people. And it just becomes, and, and if we're not careful in our lives, I write about this in my work. Our minds move towards what it's most familiar with. Yeah. So if you don't ever have unfamiliar thoughts, unfamiliar examinations, this journaling or this thinking, you just have a life that's a pattern. Well, it's like, what's your North Star, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the thing, not just your main thing, but like, what's the value, the the purpose? Like, what is the main thing you're trying to do that, that matters, right? Mm-hmm. And then how are you tacking or tracking against that, right? Mm-hmm. Is this promotion you were just offered or this attractive stranger that sent you a drink in a bar. Mm-hmm. How does that get you closer or further away from that thing? Yes. I, I um Yes. I, I sometimes when I look at like major decisions in my life, like, hey, do you want to move here and do this? Like, hey, do you want to take on this project? I go, when I look back and ask myself why I got divorced, mm-hmm. is this that reason? <laughs> right? Great. But my North Star is I want to be a good spouse and uh father. Those, that's really important. My work is also very important to me, and these things are in a, a tension or a balance with each other. But I don't, I don't want the fact that a cool opportunity is there over and over and over. You just default to saying yes to that. Yep. You're, you're simultaneously saying no, no, no to these other people and these other things, and then you, you, you're telling yourself you're doing it for them, but you're not. You're just doing it because it's easier to say yes than it is to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Very good. So yeah, I relate to that. You end up just sort of chasing the next shiny thing and and not having an examination of what this means to the other things that matter to you because you don't have a true North Star. I have a true North Star in my life, but one of the things you say in the book about this other people thing is, listen to this, guys, tolerant with others, strict with yourself. That's you. If you can get to that nuance, you're one heck of an evolved human being. That's the highest level, right? right. Uh, it's easy to just everyone should follow my rules, right? Right. right. Uh, but it's called self discipline for a reason, right? <laughs> you only control this, like you only control the standards you set for yourself, and nothing will make you more unhappy than making up rules and then being upset. 
that people who've never even heard these rules are not following them, right? <laughs> they didn't sign up for this, <laughs> right? Uh, you you got to be comfortable being like, these. Are, this is important to me because it's important to me. Mm. And if you want to live your life your own way, I got to be okay with that. Mm. Uh Cato, uh, Cato the Younger, he's this famous stoic. He's the strictest guy on of himself. He's fearless. He's un- incorruptible. You know, uh, even though he's rich, he, he dresses in plain clothes. All this stuff. But his brother was the opposite, mm. and he loved his brother. It's like Bruce mm. Springsteen says: sometimes it's your brother. You got to look the other way. Yeah. You know, like you got to go. You're you. You're living your life. If it works for you, it works for you. I can tell you why I don't think it's working for you mm-hmm. if you want my advice, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to criticize you, resent you, and most of all, I'm not going to try to punish you yeah. for doing your things your way. These are all principles just like when you hear them, you're like, yep, I'd live a better life if I did that. Yep, that would be better for me. Yep, that would be better for me. And it's a matter of, I think, reading for me, and if you don't read, you listen to audiobooks or whatever, is a form of self-examination. When I'm reading... I might read. I'm think. I'm listening to what's being written, but I'm really reflecting on me as I'm reading the words. I think that's the sure. most powerful way to read. On the soul part of the book, we can't cover it all because when we get the book. By the way, again, we've covered like two point three percent now. But you say the power of giving power away. I, I it probably you've hit on the area that would be most difficult for me in terms of my evolution would be the power of giving power away. What does that mean, and what's like an application of it? But George Washington's greatest moment is when he resigns his commission in the Continental Army and says, "I don't want to be king." They said mm-hmm. he, he could he could have become king of America, and uh, the king of England. When he hears this, he says, "He says, what's what's Mister Washington going to do after he defeats the greatest empire in the world?" And uh, his painter says, I, "I believe he's going to return to his farm." And he says, "If he does that, he is the greatest man in the world." To know when to step down, to know when to share, to know when someone is better than you at something, mm-hmm. this is extremely hard and requires so much self-discipline. Mm-hmm. As, as majestic as that is for, for Washington, when he repeats it again when he voluntarily leaves after two terms. But Marx really has chosen to be emperor. His father is an emperor. He's chosen. But there's this pesky thing that he has a, a stepbrother, yes. right? And what does he do? I, I mean, historically... Machiavelli would be like, you got to get rid of this guy. You got to kill him. And the first thing Marcus does with absolute power is he anoints his brother (laughs) co-emperor. And his brother also opposite of him in so many ways. But he writes in meditations, he says, what I loved about his brother was how his character challenged me to improve my own. So he didn't try to make his brother a replica of himself, a mirror of himself. He used his brother where his brother could help him mm-hmm. and where his brother had skills and he didn't and he was willing to share and let him be him and 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 Marcus be Marcus and he he wasn't so insecure that he needed everything for himself and i yeah. think so often we see great athletes great entrepreneurs great leaders great politicians not know when their moment is over mm-hmm. and when it's not to say they can't continue to contribute mm-hmm. but they're no longer the the top spot. Yeah. And if you can't, if you're so egotistical, you can't plan for a legacy, you're going to end up creating a legacy. It just won't be a positive one. Yeah. And by the way, that, that you're so right. It affects us in every day when we run in our businesses too, thinking that we're the best at everything in our company, where yeah. if we would give some of the control away to someone who's actually better at these things and have the discernment 
to give some of that power away and let them go. Your company would grow. Your life would grow. Maybe even in your family. Maybe your wife is just way better at some of these things than you, and you just ought to let her have them. Or reverse, your husband is. And I think oftentimes in life that that notion of giving the power, it's not easy for me. I'm a control person, and it's something that that's part of my my evolution as a man yeah. has to be connected to that. And once you give them the power, letting them do it their way, right? Mm. So it's like, hey, you're in charge of this. Here's how I would do it, but I just want you to do it. However it works, that's on you. Again, this is tolerant with, with others, strict with yourself. Like, I'm going to allow you to be you. I don't want, I'm not so rigid or insecure that I think everyone needs to be exactly like me. The way I do it works for me. Yeah. We all have different processes, different backgrounds, different needs, skills, strengths, and, and we got to respect that. You use the word uh, insecure, but I can tell you, and it's correlated for me. I know when I'm afraid to give away control and power. Uh, it's when I'm afraid. Yeah. Which is pretty close to insecure. Yeah. It's when I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid if I let you do this, my son's going to go. If you handle the discipline, my wife, my son's going to turn out to be like my dad and be a drug addict. Or if I let you run this part of my company, I'm going to go broke. I mean, these are ridiculous correlations we make. But you have to ask yourself when you're not giving control away in your life to people around you, is that from coming from a place of fear? or insecurity, because yeah. I think most of the time, that's what you're operating out of when you're trying to hold on to control all the time. I think that's totally right. Speaking about that, we don't have too much more time, and all I'm right. frustrated as heck about it, but I want to go to the book a little bit more. By the way, everybody should get the book. Like, Listen, when you read the book, a couple things is you're going to manage your own life better, lead your own life better. And there'll also be this part of you that you go, man, if you live in a particular country, I live in the US, man, I wish our leaders had more of these characteristics. Man, I wish they had that one thing. You can even think of somebody, you think if they just had that one difference, how much greater they would have been. Their demise was that thing. You'll, you'll see these little pieces in the book. And that could be your demise also when you're reading the book. Ironically, you talk about Queen Elizabeth in the book. Yeah. I, I'm just fascinated by it. I've never spent any time thinking about this woman yeah. until obviously lately, right? Yeah. I've never spent any time thinking about her. And I was sort of fascinated when, when passing, I'm like, people really made a big deal about this. I just, maybe I was naive, but you really write about her in the book. What is it that you loved about her so much or admired in her or characteristics you saw in her? I mean, first up, just to think she has the same job for 70 years yeah. <laughs> and she shows up every day. There is no on or off the clock. She is the yeah. queen. And unlike, say, Marcus or a president who has a lot of power, mm. she has absolutely no power. Mm. Her job is her poise and her dignity, what she represents. And she has the same job for 70 years. She never gives an on-the-record interview to a reporter. Think about everything she's seen, everything she knows. Think about how wrong the press has been about her. Think about all the things she wants to say and talk about silence. She says nothing because her job is to be impartial. And everything is being done in her name, literally, but she cannot say anything but she she manages to she every, every week she meets with the prime minister i think she's on she was on her like 14th prime minister so she she is i mean she's personally trained by winston churchill she knows so much she is the most qualified mm. and she can't be like that's a bad idea don't do that mm. but she can well what about this have you thought about this mm. i once heard this mm. right so she has to develop how to be uh, assertive without being aggressive she has to keep uh she has to be above the fray she can't be distracted by the noise and then also i think what's particularly impressive about her 
The, the monarchy 70 years ago, totally different than it is today, yeah. and yet exactly the same, mm. right? And so that's what tradition is. People think tradition is like keeping everything exactly the same. Mm. No, it's finding the North Star, the, the real things, and then everything else is negotiable. Mm. And they have this favorite, they have this famous motto inside the royal household, which is if things are going to stay the same, things are going to have to change. And so she's malleable and adjustable okay. about the things that don't matter. Yep. And then very firm and rigid about the things that do matter. And that's, if you want to last, if you want to endure, you look at someone who's been in the music business or someone who's been in professional sports or someone who's been business after business, everything's changed. And yet the core things, Jeff Bezos says, you focus on the things that don't change. Mm -hmm. You got to know what those are, lock into them. Everything else, you're, what's new, what's best. That that tension Mm -hmm. to me requires so much Mm self-discipline. Then you want to talk about physical discipline. I mean, just imagine like, She's millions of miles, yeah. shaking millions of hands. Mm. She, in 70 years, fell asleep in public one time. And she was like 85, and it was a lecture about magnets. You know? <laughs> Is that right? Like, just right. the sheer toughness yeah. of this little old lady, yeah. it puts all of us to shame. Yeah. I love that you honor I also love your fascination with history. It's becoming a lost art form. And the more I... Even reading your book, I'm a history buff too, but even reading your book, there's things I learned in the book and I'm like, yeah, that applies now. And I want to finish on it because I'm a baseball fan. So I opened up with this, but I want to finish with it. So Babe Ruth is probably the most well-known baseball player of all time. Maybe the most well-known athlete of all time. Certainly pretty darn close. And you kind of in the book do this comparison between Babe Ruth's gluttonous big ass and Lou Gehrig. And for everybody listening, this is, may sound obvious, but Lou Gehrig eventually passed from Lou Gehrig's disease, or yep. ALS, right? So, But Lou Gehrig is known as the Iron Horse, and that's sort of what I knew about him, is he just played in all these consecutive games. 2,100 uh, consecutive games. It's insane. Yeah. I don't think I knew what a great player he was, and I want you to talk about I'm going to give one thing away, because it just blew my mind. This dude's done. Correct me if I'm wrong. They, like, x-ray his hands or look at former x-rays. This dude had, like, 17 fractures in his hands. He broke every one of his fingers and never missed a game. That's insane. The the sheer toughness that that requires, just like someone like Queen Elizabeth, to show up every day, not have an excuse, or even when you have an excuse, is immense. I mean, he gets hit in the head in one game before the era of helmets, goes to the hospital, gets an x-ray, you know, he's knocked unconscious. They go, oh, he's going to miss months. Even this, the, the pitcher that hit him goes, ah, the streak's over. Mm. Next game, it's right in there. Mm. And, and he was like, look, I could have taken a day off. It was that if I took that day off, that pitch would change how I play. Because now I'd be, yeah. I, you know what I mean? He yeah. hits three triples that next game because he knows he has to get back in there. He can't let the excuse win. Oh, my gosh, bro. Like, and it's his relationship with discomfort and pain that made him different. Also, his he's sort of embodies this, right? Yeah. His 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 unwillingness to give in to temptation, which which Ruth is doing all the time, drinking he, and eating. He walks into the Yankees dugout and it's, they put these fancy cushions on it. He rips them out. He's like, cushions the enemy, right? He wants it. He wants to be tough. And and look, Babe Ruth, amazing. But sure. when you read about how Babe Ruth treated his body, yeah. you can't, and his money, you can't think, what could a more disciplined Babe Ruth have done? So, you know, I, I talk about this, I wrote this book, Ego is the Enemy. It's the same with ego, same with this, this stuff. It's not that people who aren't disciplined are never successful. It's mm-hmm. not that people with big egos are never successful. Of course they are. Mm-hmm. Often because they're extremely talented, often because they're lucky, often because it's not like a death sentence, mm-hmm. but it is 
uh, a ceiling on your potential. Yes. And, you know, Babe Ruth's career is cut short because he doesn't take care of himself. Mm -hmm. Lou Gehrig's career is cut short because of a tragedy. Yeah. You know, but which one did more in that time that they had, right? And and unarguably, it's it's actually Gehrig. Yes, Babe Ruth. I didn't know this. You you taught me it. Babe Ruth calls the shot, hits a home run. Turns out Lou Gehrig hit one that night too, right? Yeah, yeah he's like, he's the workhorse of an athlete. Yep. Which ultimately, I think, over the long term, does more than the sort of you know. You guys, his work is so damn good, and I hope today was this unbelievable ride for you about your own life and different breakthroughs for you. I got last question for you because I've always wanted to hear your definition of this. The chapter of the book, by the way, the title of the book, rather, everybody, is Discipline is Destiny, the Power of Self-Control. You just got to get it. It's loaded. Loaded. So this is a goofy question, okay. but I want to finish with it. What actually is discipline? <laughs> yeah. What is discipline to you? Uh, as I'm doing this series on the four virtues, I define courage as the willingness to put your ass on the line for what you believe in. Mm. I say discipline is the willingness to keep your ass in line. Right. Okay. This is what I know I need to do. I'm going to do it. Wisdom is knowing what to, to do, do. Right. Uh, discipline is the willpower, the strength, the self-control, the self-mastery to do it. Seneca says he is most powerful who is under his own power. Yeah. That's what it is. You are you. It's not. Hey, do I have control over other people? A lot of people have that. But do you have command control over yourself? That's right. what discipline is. I love it. He says in the very beginning of the book that in order to master anything, you must first master yourself. And I believe that so strongly. And it sounds like you're creeping up on doing that, brother. I think, <laughs> Thank you. I think you're doing that. And you helped me today. I know you helped millions of other people too. Like this was really good. Thank you. Like really, really good. And um, so go get the book, guys. Find Ryan, find, follow Ryan all over social media. Go get my book. Go get The Power of One More also. You might as well get them both together. That, I mean, that is the essence of discipline, right? Yep. Like your body, the clock, people's expectations, It's you're done. Yeah. And you go, I got one more. I got one. I can do one more. I decide. I decide. Dude, this was good today. You're coming back on. I'd love that. You made the cut, bro. <laughs> one in a hundred come back on again. You're coming back on again. This is going to be so good. Hey, guys. Share this show. We're the number one growing show on the planet because you guys share it. And I get people in front of you like Ryan Holiday once a week. We only do one a week around here. And we get the most out of them and stuff out of them that you've never heard before. Today was remarkable. I enjoyed it. To be honest with you, I will be hearing this show back before all of you do because it was that good. I want to hear it twice. So thank you, Ryan. And everybody out there, God bless you. Continue to max out your life. Take care. This is The Ed Milet Show.